Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. We're going to take our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the 24th chapter, from about the 35th verse. Now, today I want to talk about the power of the word of God. Because some people say, Pastor, I've come for counseling. I have believed God for 10 years for a job. I've believed God for 15 years for a child. I have believed God these years for this career. I have prayed and I have fasted. I've done everything there is. And sometimes I ask them, do you read the word? Do you relate to the word? Do you connect to the word? And say, yeah, I read the word. I confess. I do all these kinds of things but I've not seen the results that I'm supposed to see. Or I've had instances where somebody say, you know, I've been going through a financial issue and it seems as though the more I confess and claim the word, the more it worsens. Or I've been having a health issue, the more I confess, the more I speak, the more it worsens. Or I've been having this challenge, I am a believer, I pray, I read the word, I do all these kinds of things and I don't see the results of the word, I confess, I listen to the scriptures, I do all these kinds of things, but I don't see the results that I'm supposed to see that are supposed to follow someone who believes and somebody who professes, confesses and lives this word as I have to know. I'm talking about those who have gone into the spaces of trying to be so faithful, you know, with the word. They're trying to be faithful, their confession, they're trying to be faithful with the reading and they're consistent, they're listening to sermons, they're listening to CDs, they're doing all these kinds of things, but they don't still see the results that they're supposed to see. They still don't see the answers that they're supposed to see. Maybe, just maybe, some of us have not yet connected in understanding the power of the word. And tonight I want to take you through a conversation that I know is going to bless you. No doubt you're going to be blessed. I want to show you something so powerful about the word. Because the Bible says there may be many voices, but there's none without signification. And Paul says, but if I know not the meaning of the voice, I make myself barbarian to whoever speaks and whoever I speak to is barbaric. Whoever speaks to me is barbaric. So it means every voice in the world has a signification. Every voice, every word has a meaning. The voice of God has a meaning. The voice of man has a meaning. The voice of animals has a meaning. Even the things that are without life, they give distinctive sounds and voices. Flutes, harps, you know, string instruments and all kinds of things. There is nothing that releases voice, sound, word without signification. That means that the understanding and connection to the word or anything that speaks is your ability to interpret the meaning of what is spoken. It's the ability to interpret the meaning of what is spoken. Because when God says, I am that I am, what does that mean? When God says, I am your God, what does that mean? 
When God says that I will prosper you, what does that really mean? When God says nothing shall be impossible to whosoever believeth, what does that really mean? When God says you shall ask anything in my name, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, the Bible says it shall be done for you. What does that really mean? And does that really connect to your story? Do you receive whatsoever you ask for in the name of Jesus Christ? When the Bible says that greater is he which is in you than he that is in the world, what does that mean? Is it a real experience in your personal life that indeed greater is he which is in you than he in this world? Or you're just confessing scriptures like anybody else confesses scriptures. When God says that you shall be the head and not the tail, what does that really mean? The meaning of that voice. The meaning of that word. What does it really mean when God says you shall be the head and not the tail? You shall be above only and thou shalt not be beneath. What does that mean? Do you know the meaning? Does that which you read, which you relate with, which you connect to every day, which you fellowship with, have the results and the answers that it so should give you as a believer? And I've realized this, that you can never have the result of a thing if you know not the meaning of that thing. You can never truly be intimate with a thing of whose meaning you know not. So the interpretation of the meaning, the interpretation of the word, to say that this is the word of God, how do we build relationships with the word? I've said this once before, that in the earlier years of the 50s, 60s, there was a doctrine that came through the world. They used to call the word of faith. It was a great movement. And great miracles, signs and wonders were done in that period. Great, great miracles. And of course, many proponents of that movement actually had the results of that movement. But also, there was a great, great challenge in that movement that some people claimed, spoke, believed, confessed, and died. They did every kind of thing and gave themselves over. And there were those who didn't even have faith. They didn't have faith as they should. And many died. And so, of course, the world started attacking that movement so strongly. Why? Because if somebody says that I believe that I'm healed, and then they abandon their tablets, and then they die in the name of they believe that they're healed, and some people say, oh, so these are the people that are killing our people. Or that their families would say, if my mother had not gone to follow this movement of faith and abandoned her drugs, she probably could be alive today. And so... Some of the ministers of that time were greatly judged, greatly, greatly judged because of that teaching. And yet, many and multitudes and millions of people were changed, transformed, and healed, delivered by the same message. But that was the other side of it. And so, some said, oh, you know, the challenge was that when we were teaching faith, it was not taught in wisdom, granted. Although sometimes, every time, some of them would try to express this so-called wisdom in which faith should be taught, some of them again inclined back into the flesh and carnality. And yes, in part, there was a necessity of the wisdom, but not many actually articulated the balance of that wisdom in the faith. But also, there's another group of people who, for all purposes, the reason why many of these people died and some of them failed in their walk of faith was simple. That many of them did not have the relationship that they claimed to have with the Word of God. 
And I'm not saying that they were not reading it or they were not confessing it. But again, like I said, you can never be, truly be intimate with a thing or anybody with whom you have no meaning or interpretation of. It's one thing for you to say, by his stripes I was healed. But what does it mean? Oh, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But what does that really mean? And so the challenge was, the bigger part of this was that many people had not built a relationship with the word. They were not intimate because they knew not the meaning of the voice. And so for us to connect in the realm of truth, when we talk about the veil being taken away from our eyes or from our hearts, that veil is to give us the true meaning of the voice, the true meaning of the word. What does God really mean? And if our hearts can really connect to what God means, if our hearts can connect to the revelation and the meaning of the word, then you will start to see a change and transformation in your life like never before. And so the thing I'm trying to share with you tonight is to help you build a certain relationship with the word of God. Now, the Bible says in Matthew, the 24th verse, Jesus said one of the mightiest confessions of the New Testament dispensation. And he wanted to show us not only just the authenticity of the word, but the guarantee of the effectiveness of the word that you and I read. And he gave us this allegory and said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But he said, but my words shall not pass away. He's trying to explain to the believer that if you look at the expanse of the world, this earth which you and I walk, the power and energy that is conformed in the realm of the earth, the laws that are within the earth, gravity and many things, the expanse of the rivers and the lakes and everything that you see in the world. And then you get out of this earth and then you go into space. And then you see the existence of planets. Then you see the constellations. It goes far and far distances. He says, all of that has and can and could and would pass away. But he says, but my word shall not pass away. In other words, the authenticity of the power that is in the word of God is bigger than the power that holds everything you see. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. Everything you see. He says, those can pass away. And all matter and substance would dissolve as we know it. But he says that the word of God would still exist in the realm where there was no substance and matter. Even beyond time, the word of God would still exist. It's not subject to time. It's not subject to space. It's not subject to matter. Anything your eye could ever see and imagine would still fade away and disappear. And it still says, but my words, my logos shall not pass away. It is that authentic. It is that powerful. These words we read, they're not just mere words. They're not just mere confessions. You know, one time I met a fellow who says that I believe in Jesus as a philosopher. I don't believe in him as a deity. I don't believe 
in him as a son of God, as someone that has life in him or that can give eternal life. I just believe in him as a good teacher. And some people just look at Jesus Christ as a good teacher. Some people look at him as just a good philosopher. Some people look at these words as just things that they relate with to help them just go through one day or two days. God has said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But it says, but my words shall not pass away. In other words, the word of God exists beyond anything that has ever been made and created. Because the Bible says that actually all things were made by the word. This thing in your mouth created everything you see. What is cancer? This thing you read created everything that exists. What is HIV? What is COVID? What is disease? This thing you read created everything you see. And this is the interesting thing. Satan knows it. He knows the power of the word. He understands the power of the word. He knows what the word has done. He understands what the word can do. He knows it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and the third verse, he says that if our gospel be hid, now the word hid there is veiled, okay? If our gospel be hid, He says, it is hid to them that are lost. And the next verse says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Now, in this scripture, the Bible calls the devil the God of this world. I want you to note something here. In the scriptures, the devil is called the God of this world. That means that the world was given to him. He has a certain authority over the world. It is what he has. In some portions of scripture, he's called the prince of this world. And I'm talking about the fallen world. When you become born again, you enter a new realm, the kingdom. You enter a new realm. All right? And when you enter a new realm, it means that you're not subject to this physical realm of the fallen world. But anybody who is in this physical realm whose life is only in this physical realm, that person, that individual, is subject to everything connected to the fallen nature and Satan. Anybody who is not born again, it doesn't matter how good they are, it doesn't matter how generous they are, it doesn't matter how caring they are, it doesn't matter how humble they are, it doesn't matter how temperate they are ordered and aligned. If they are not in the kingdom of light, they are under the God of this world. They're under some sort of influence and spirit and power that they themselves do not know. The Bible says in Ephesians, the second chapter, if you read uh, the Amplified Version, the Bible says, And you he made alive when ye were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. He's talking about the believer now. He says they were dead and slain by the trespasses of sin, in which at one time they walked habitually. And the Bible says... You were following, listen, the course and fashion of this world. You were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. And he says, and you were obedient to and under, listen, the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, 
the rebellious and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Anybody who is not born again is under some sort of control to the spirit of rebellion and the prince of the air. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how wise they are. It doesn't matter how generous they are. It doesn't matter how hardworking they are. It doesn't matter how much peace they bring in the world. It doesn't matter how much generosity they give to the world. It doesn't matter how much goodness is in them. If a man is not born again, they are under the control of some demonic spirit. Because the world was given over to the prince of the air. That is the devil. He's called the god of this present world, the fallen world. So he says, before you became born again, you also walked that way. You didn't even know how that happened, but you found yourself walking that way. You were subject to some sort of spirit. You don't protect this lightly. That anybody who is not born again is under some sort of demonic control, even at their best character. The Bible says man at his best is altogether vanity. Man at his best is altogether vanity. At his best. There is nothing that can ever make a man better except the life with which we have in Christ Jesus. So he's called the God of this world. So Yes, Satan owns this realm of the fallen nature, the physical present world. Eh? That's why the Bible speaks of men which have loved. Paul speaks of a young man which abandoned the gospel for the love of this present world. The guy was called Demas. Demas forsook Paul for the love of this present world. The world that only can be interpreted by the physical senses, the physical realm. And they left the gospel. And we've seen many times, the Bible, even in the facets of hearing, how some seeds fall on stony ground, stony and all these kinds of things. And you see, he says, some people, because of the pressures of the world, they abandon the gospel. They abandon the message. They walk away because of the pressures of this present world. So this present world has pressures. Job pressures, career pressures, relational pressures, financial pressures, the deceitfulness of riches. And all these kinds of things. The Bible says, and because of that, for the care of this world, the Bible says they choke the word. And when they choke the word, the Bible says they become unfruitful because they are connected. They are relating. Their only subject can only understand life through this present world. So that means there is a world that is not present to the physical eye. There is a realm that is not seen by the carnal. And that is the veil that Satan closes on the eyes of those who don't believe. The unbelieving. But the Bible says our gospel is hid to them that believe not. That hiding, that veil, is the reality of the light that is this side that Satan has hid. Because he knows the power of the gospel. So, when we go back to the temptation of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4. Many of us know that story of how Jesus is in the desert. And then Satan appears to him and, you know, turn these stones into bread, da-da-da-da. Now, there were three major temptations. One of which was turn these stones into bread. And there was another one where he tells him to jump off a cliff. God will send angels charge over you and they'll catch you and keep you from falling. All right? Now, you see, those two are similar. Because in those temptations, the devil was not giving anything. He was not offering anything. You know, turn these stones into bread if you're a son of God. Well, what's your part of the bargain, devil? Satan, what's your part of this bargain? What are you going to give in this? He was not giving anything. Jump off this cliff for he'll send angels, charge over you. He will catch you. 
from falling. He'll keep you from dashing your body on the floor. What was the devil giving? He was simply provoking. Demonstrate your power because ye are the son of God. And there's some there as well. If I should go to ministers, the temptation of doing things to prove that you are a man of God. One time I was watching a little video and this guy was praying and he says, show them that I'm a prophet. Show them that you called me to be a prophet. And I'm like, oh, so this fellow (laughs) is trying to downgrade the sovereignty of God, his goodness, and the submission and commitment to his word to heal because he was wounded for transgressions and bruised for iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and he has downgraded that kind of sovereignty to the justification of his office so that God should heal so people should know that this fellow is a prophet. So what if they don't call you a prophet? So what if they don't call you a pastor? So what if they don't believe that you're a man of God? You know, it's not about the title on the team. It's the substance in the can. God has a way of vindicating us in the spirit. It's part of what they call the mystery of godliness. He says, great is the mystery of godliness. Paul says in Timothy, that mystery is without controversy. In other words, it's not the thing that when a man connects to its experience, he needs any sort of controversy to surround the reality of his vindication and justification. No. He says, that mystery speaks that Jesus was manifest in the flesh. And the next of that is because God was manifest in the flesh, he says he is justified in the spirit. Any manifestation of God has its justification in the spirit. And that justification is by God. And that justification does not come because we pursue it. That justification comes because God pursues it. Their righteousness, he says, is of me. The Bible says, and righteousness shall go before you, and that shall account for your peace and strength. This righteousness that God has imputed on you is part of his zeal to justify his own. Because when God lives in a man, he is more zealous to prove that is in that man than the man could ever be zealous to be proved or approved of God. He told us that the only way you should be or can be approved of me is simple. Study the word. He didn't say, pray that I will show them that you're a man of God. No. If you find a man of God who is making a prayer as show them that I am your servant, that man has a big problem. Because you see, you don't need everyone to believe that you're a servant of God. There's a security when you know God. There's a security that comes into your spirit. And in fact, that kind of security desires that the man actually seeks to decrease that Christ might increase to decrease that Christ might increase or must increase. So the reality of that vindication does not seek justification from men, for people to prove, oh, you're a man of God. It doesn't matter whether people believe that I'm a man of God or not. They were not there when God appeared to me. They were not there when God came to you. And they don't need to be there. He just told you, study the word, I will approve you. Study the word, I will approve you. Study the word, I will approve you. I'll approve you. It's not in us to prove ourselves to men through the signs, miracles, and wonders. It's up to God to work through us both to will and to do. And the vindication is of God because the mystery of godliness is without controversy. 
He was seen by the angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on into the world and received up in glory. That's the mystery. When you understand God a certain way, you'll never seek honor. You'll never seek the praises of men. Because it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what God says about you. So you see, when he tells Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He's trying to tell him, prove yourself. Prove yourself that you're a son of God. You see, Jesus did not turn stones into bread because he did not need to prove to the devil that he was a son of God. By the time the devil comes to him, by the time Satan comes to Jesus to tell him if you are, he should know that he is. He should know that he is. Because it doesn't matter how much deceptive he is, he knows the truth. He can discern that this is truth. And in this, Christ was the truth. He knew the Christ. Oh, jump off his cliff. Yeah? But I wanted to emphasize the other temptation. Luke chapter 4, the fifth verse. The Bible says the devil takes him into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, in a twinkling of an eye. That means that this vision was not physical. It was a spiritual vision. In other words, Satan shows in a vision and he shows the Christ, the kingdoms of the world. The realm of the world that is unseen, but that belongs to him. And the devil says to him in the sixth verse, All this power, because he beheld all the glory and the splendor of this kingdom, says, All this power will I give you and the glory of them, for that it is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. Satan is telling Jesus, I will give these things to you because they were delivered to me. And you don't see Jesus saying, no, the world was not given you because the reality of this was that the world was given to the devil. He was the God of this world. He was the prince of the air. Okay? And the seventh verse says, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. All will be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Now let's follow this. When he's tempting concerning the stone turning into bread, he's not given anything. When he's tempting Jesus to fall off the cliff, he's not given anything. And then he gets to a point and he looks at everything he was given. He looks at the realm that belongs to him. He loves the world. Why? Because it's the only realm given him. He has no other realm. This is his realm. The fallen world is his realm. And all the things that are in it. And all those who don't know God. They belong to him. And now, some people think he's just looking at Jesus just as a son of God. But it's more than that. He knows that this is the word that became flesh. With this word... The worlds were framed. With this word, everything that exists, exists because of this word. Everything that we see, we see because of this word. Now, his mind is that if this word in the flesh can bow to me, I'm willing to give every realm I have. I'm willing to give 
everything that I have, if this word shall bow to me, I'm willing to give everything. Say, so think, look at their glory. Look at their splendor. Look at everything. Just promise me that you're ready to bow to me. And I'm going to give everything that you need from me. Now, he thinks that the Christ in the flesh could be carnal enough to behold the physical splendor and glory in the kingdoms and the realm that are given to this fellow and that he would be willing to give over his person and nature to submit and pay obeisance to him. But what Satan thinks in his head is he needs the word to bow to him. Because he knows if he can have that, remember, he's pursued from day one to be like God. To be like God. Now he has an opportunity of a young man in the wilderness. And in this young man, the word of God is. And this word framed everything he knows. Created everything we see. And this word is available for him. He's saying, can I transact with it? Now, for the word to submit to him, he's ready to give. He's ready to give. He's ready to give everything that he has for the word. Now, if Satan is ready to give everything that he has for the word, don't you think he knows what the word can do? If he's ready to transact anything that he has for the word to bow to him, for the word to submit itself to him and its power, don't you think if he can lose everything for the word, he knows what the word can do? Satan knows what the word can do. He knows what the word can do. But do you know the power of the word? Do you understand the power of the word? So everything that Satan fights against is the word. Anything that he's going to mandate himself against for the child of God is to make sure that you don't believe the word. Is to make sure that you don't relate with the word. Is to make sure that you don't read the word. Is to make sure that if you read it, you don't understand it and he snatches it. Or if you read it and understand it, Attacks will come, the Bible says, on account of the word. What is he looking for? He's looking for anything in you that can just doubt God. He doesn't care how long it will go. He doesn't care how long the game is. All he needs is to just get you to a point where you can doubt God. Where you can denounce the word. Where you can disconnect to the word where you can just look at the word as a normal thing because he knows once this person can just not see once they can be veiled enough not to understand the meaning of this voice and the power behind this voice I have that person and with this he has done through bringing false doctrines in the church this he has done through Attacking teachers of the word. Putting an attack on uh, the Lord's teachers and pastors and prophets and apostles who are preaching truth. Defaming them. 
discrediting the witness, libel, slander, gossip, persecution, troubles, because he knows that once the word can sit in the heart of a believer, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. He knows it. That all things are possible to him that believeth. He knows it. He understands it. He has done it through making people lazy to read the word. That is why it's easy for a Christian to do anything than the word. It's easy to do anything than sitting in the word to read it. He has robbed people of the heart to love the word. And the Bible says, and some having not loved the truth, God gave them over. Because if you're not a lover of the truth, God has no business. What can he do for you? If you're not a lover of the word, how would he relate with you? Because he is the word. The Bible says in Psalms 138, he says, he has exalted his word even above all his name. He has exalted his word even above all his name. He says, for I will worship toward the holy temple and thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth, for thou has magnified thy word above all thy name. Do you know what that means? It means that if we know God as Jehovah Jireh, which is a provider, he has exalted his word even above Jehovah Jireh as your provider. In other words, he will have to fail as a provider for his word to fail. He has exalted his word above healing. If Jehovah, Rapha, he says, I have to fail. I have to attempt. I have to determine to heal you and fail to heal you as Rapha and then doubt my word. Because my word, he says, is above every name you'll ever call me. Of course, that poor are struggling. <laughs> I've seen believers who say, oh, you know, some people don't call him by the right name. You're supposed to call him Yeshua, Hamashiach. If you don't call him Yeshua, Hamashiach. If you don't call him Yahweh or Jehovah, you're not calling him the right way. Why don't you call him by his name? And I tell people, see, God met us wherever we were before we even knew him to have a relationship with a Jew. I'm a Ugandan, born and raised in this nation. And because I'm born and raised in this nation... Before I even understood how he's called in the Jewish language, he met me at the age of eight and appeared to me and said, I am your God. And I knew him as Jesus Christ. So some people will judge, oh, why do you call him Jesus? You have to call him Yeshua. If you don't call him Yeshua, you don't understand his name. See, he has exalted his word even above the accent, the idiom and language you will use to call him. He prefers that we will know him through his word. I'm not saying that we belittle the name of God. No. But he's not inflated to seek to be called a certain way for him to respond to man. Because there are people, even in scripture, the Bible says, even before you call, I will answer. The love of God is so drawn to the relationship he has with humankind that certain things are more important to him than others. There's a man calling him by Yeshua. That man does not have a relationship with this word. So I'm not against the name. We love God. We call him Yeshua, Jehovah. But even if I call him Jesus, he understands. 
Even if I call him in my local language and I say Yesu, he understands. Why? Because he has wanted and desired that I will relate with him through his word. So when he says, I've exalted my word even above all my name. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He's saying you must understand that this word is who I am. I am the word. I am the word. I am the word. He is the word. The word is his person and his nature. It's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his only glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. He comes in the person of Jesus Christ. But that Christ is one with the Father. He is one with the Father. It's the holiest desire of God for mankind to relate and connect to God through the power of the Word. Remember, everything you see was made by that Word. Again, what is disease? What is poverty? What is troubling you? What is that thing that in your heart you feel is bigger than the word that you have at this present hour? What is bigger than the word? If even the very foundation of earth will be shaken to the core, and this is the one thing that God has said will and can remain, must remain, because he cannot change his word. From everlasting to everlasting is the same. Today, tomorrow, and yesterday, he is the same. He never changes. He healed then, he heals now. He delivered then, he delivers now. He upheld men then, he upholds now. He strengthened then, he strengthens now. He changed things then and he changes things now. He delivered people then and he will deliver people now. He blessed men then and he blesses men now. He's the same God. He never changes. And that word is still as powerful and true in 2020 as it was powerful and true in the beginning of the earth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is sharp. The Amplified says it's alive and full of power. The word of God is alive and it is full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. Up to now, it is still active. Up to now, it still has all the energy that it has spoken. Up to now, it still operates as it used to. Up to now, it's active. There is no day the word of God poses. There is no day you can use it. And it's not available. It's an ever-charged energy of full potential and power available to work for a man who knows how to pray. He says the prayer of a righteous and fervent man. The Bible says it's effectual. It's effective. It has the results. It delivers the answer. The fervent prayer. The fervent prayer. If you know how to pray with the word, if you know how to connect in the word, if you know how to relate with God in the word, the Bible says that prayer makes tremendous power available. It makes tremendous power available. And the Amplified says, dynamic in its own nature. Dynamic. It's not static. It's not static. It's dynamic. What do I mean by dynamic? It adjusts to every situation you put it into. That's what it means. 
It can't say, you know, here I'm going to work, but here I'm not going to work. No. The word of God is dynamic in its working. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's dynamic in its working. You take it at your job, it adjusts to your job and aligns it. You take it in your marriage and it adjusts to your marriage and aligns it. You take it into your business and it adjusts in your business and it aligns it. It enters your body, hallelujah, glory to God. And it starts walking into your systems. It it starts going into your heart, your kidneys. It starts moving into your lungs and it starts to move through your blood and goes into your sinews and muscles and starts aligning things. That's what the word of God does. That is why we lay hands on the lame and they walk. That is why we lay hands on the blind and they see. That is why we lay hands on the deaf and they hear. That is why we put our hands on the dumb and they speak. Why? Because wherever it goes, it's dynamic in its operation. It adjusts to the situation. There is no situation. The word of God cannot respond. It's that active. It's that available. What does it mean when God says that you are more than a conqueror by Christ which strengthens you? What does it mean when he says that you have overcome this world? For this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What does that mean? He means that you have overcome the world, the fallen world, the world that belongs to Satan. He says, for the prince of this world has nothing in me. Nothing in me. Jesus said, he has nothing in me. Now, if Jesus lives in you, oh, and you live in him, if he abides in you and you abide in him, if he is the head and ye are the body, and he says that the prince of this world has nothing in me, there is nothing he kept in you. Oh, he can't keep disease in you. He can't keep poverty in you. He can't keep bondage in you. He can't keep regression in you. He can't keep witchcraft in you. He can't keep anything in you. The prince of this world has nothing in you. He has nothing in you. There is nothing he kept in you. If the doctor says you have a disease, you don't have it in the mighty name of Jesus. Because the prince of this world kept nothing in you. He kept nothing in your family. He kept nothing in your business. He kept nothing in your career. He has nothing in Fanero. He has nothing here. Why? Because we carry the life which is of God. And it is eternal. It's in us. It's ever fixed and present. It's dynamic in nature. And it is working in every aspect of our lives. That is why he says that the path of the just shall shine brighter and brighter and to a perfect day. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. That means whether you want it or not, you have to improve because the word of God is in you. Whether you want it or not, you have to advance because the energy and power that activates that advancement is in you. He says you shall go upward and upward only. You shall be above and not beneath. You shall be the head and not the tail. He said you shall be blessed in the city. You shall be blessed in the country. You shall be blessed going in. You shall be blessed going out. You shall be blessed. The blessing of God has to follow you. Why? Because this word is active. When he says you are blessed, the dynamicness of this word starts to adapt to the blessedness of the believer. And all you just have to do is, God, I receive, I am ready, I take it. It's all mine in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The word works. The word works. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4, the third verse. He says, if our gospel be hid, if it's veiled, he says, it's to them which are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. List, he says, the light of the glorious gospel. Who is the image of God? He didn't say could. He didn't say might. He says should sign. 
Because the moment a man comes in contact with this word, it should shine on you. It should shine on you. It will work on you. It should work on you. Hallelujah. And in the fifth verse, it says, And we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves for your servants. In the sixth verse, it says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He went to darkness and says, Light, let there be light. That same God who commanded light to shine into darkness. The Bible says he has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That means that very God who said let there be light. He's now the God who is shining in your heart. He's the God inside you who is shining out of you and in you to give, listen, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Not the knowledge of poverty. Not the knowledge of sickness. Not the knowledge of bondage. Not the knowledge of digression and regression. Not the knowledge of failure. Not the knowledge of destruction. Uh -uh. He said the thing that is in you as a believer is a light of the knowledge of the glory of God. That means the thing inside you emanates out of you to give the glory of God. People look at you and they can testify that this is the glory of God. They can see the glory of God on your life. And that is why it's for we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. He got this treasure, which is the word of God, the revelation of God, and he put it in earthen vessels of clay that the excellence of power might be not of us, but that it might be of God. And in the eighth verse, he says, we are troubled on every side, but we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not for second. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. We are always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ might also be revealed in our very body. The life of Christ is in me. Hallelujah, glory to God. That is the thing that touches the lame man and tells him walk. And that man walks. That is the thing that gets into your family and you say, "Uh uh-uh, we will not die, we shall live. In the name of Jesus, he will put boundaries over us. We will not faint, we will not grow weary. Youth will fail, the young will faint, but we are waiting on God. We are renewed in strength. We are strong every day. We are more than conquerors through Christ which strengthens us. Praise be to God who always causes us to triumph and he maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. The word of God is working in my family. The word of God is working in my business. The word of God is working in my ministry. It's working in my children. It's working in my marriage. It's working in everything. It's dynamic in every aspect. It is powerful. If the devil would transact everything he has for it, he knows what it is. And I cannot sell it for anything. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. The word works. Oh, why hasn't it been working? You didn't know this. You didn't fully understand this. Now you know. Now you know that the word of God is available for you. Now you know that it's a dynamic in its operation. Pray with fervency. Speak things with fervency. He says that your prayer will avail much power. The effectual prayer. I thank God that he called it the effectual prayer. My prayer has effect. Your prayer has effect. I don't care what doctors have said. I'm going to pray with you. But I need a man and a woman who knows the fervency, the effect of their prayer. Who 
knows the glory of their prayer? Who knows that once you're ready to claim the word of God and what it says concerning your life, whatever God has said shall come to pass. He says, let heaven pass, let earth pass, but my word shall not pass away. The scriptures cannot be broken or bent. If I say that you are blessed, woman, you are blessed. If I say that with long life, I will satisfy you. Don't think I didn't know that HIV would be in your days. Don't think I didn't know that cancer would be in your days. But I still said that with long life, I will satisfy you. I still said that you shall go to your grave full of age like a stock of wheat in its own season. I knew that diseases would be there. I knew that poverty would be there. But I say that I shall bless you. I knew that war would be there. But I say that I will keep you and I will preserve you. I knew that tumult would come and destruction. But I say that thousand will fall at one side and ten thousand on the other. But none of those things shall come nigh thee. But only as a spectator shall you see yourself he says amplify says inaccessible in the secret place of the most high as you witness the reward of the wicked that means God can make you inaccessible to disease he can make you inaccessible to poverty he can make you inaccessible to witchcraft he can make you inaccessible to death he can make you inaccessible to anything that can destroy you he said only as spectators shall you be yourself inaccessible in the secret place of the most high dwell in the presence dwell in the word of God dwell in the truth and what he has spoken concerning your life for all things in him the Bible says are and a man to the glory of the Father hallelujah praise God we cling to his promises everything he has promised is mine it's mine it's mine I lambano it I get a hold of it in the spirit as mine. Now I want a fervent prayer person, a fervent spirit, a man and a woman right now to raise your voice and speak. Speak to that thing, especially that has spent weeks, days, months, decades on your life, in your family. Give it a scripture right now. Allocate a scripture to it and say, I don't know how many times I've said this, but this one time, devil, I mean it. Get off my children, get off my wife, get off my husband, get off my marriage, get off my business. Ah, don't pray as a survivor, don't pray as a desperate person, pray as a righteous man who has a fervency of spirit because your prayer is effectual. It's effectual, it's effectual. Don't pray as a victim, don't pray as one God. God is trying to help. Pray as a victor. Pray as one who knows that God always causes you to triumph and makes manifest the servant of his knowledge by you in every place. Speak into your business. Speak into your career. Speak into your ministry. Speak into your village people. Speak into your country. Speak into your relatives. Speak into your friends. Speak on anything. Speak into your body. Say you're going to be healthy. You're going to be strong. You will not die. Disease is far from you. COVID is far from you. All these diseases, cancers are far from you. You're healthy from the head to the toe. Speak to your life. Speak to your destiny. Say you are blessed. Say you're more than a conqueror. 
Asata bakata, brakata nabazo, zabroko temanda, hosabakasha, riamatora banda, zamakata brozo, zabrozo bokota, makapatalapa. He says, I will help you. He says, I'll transform you. He says, I redeem you. I change. I get you out of that merry clay. I set you up on a standard. I set you up on solid ground. I am helping you. God says, I am for you. I'm not against you. I'm changing things. The tides are working for you. The winds are blowing for you. The spirit is available for you. The power of God that raised Christ from the dead is now resident in you. And that is why I speak to anything that could have died or was dying in you. I command it to come to life again in the name of Jesus. If this is the very one that created the world, if this is the very one that breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living so I decree and I declare that the second Adam was a life-giving spirit and because he's in us and for us we give life to everything that was died we give life to your home we give life to your ministry we give life to your body we give life to your vision we give life to your career we give life into your relationship we give life to your children we give life to Uganda we give life to Africa we give life to the world we give life to the United States we give life to Europe we give life to Asia we give life we speak life there will be no death we refuse death out of this nation out of Africa we rebuke sickness out of Africa out of Uganda out of our own people we rebuke it we declare we declare that we will not bury our own COVID didn't belong in Uganda it didn't belong in Africa it didn't belong in the world in the mighty name of Jesus disease does not belong to the believer we declare we declare that divine health is yours in Jesus mighty name you move in the strength of God you move in the power of God you move in the glory of God. You will not be poor. You shall be rich. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed. Amen. You have never given your life to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior. He shed his blood for you. He died and was raised for your glory. The Bible says that with the heart a man believes and confession is made unto salvation. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. In Jesus the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.